The Secret Church podcast is a resource from Radical.net. For The Secret Church 3 study guide and other resources that go along with this audio, visit Radical.net slash SC3. And this is Secret Church 3, Episode 9. Next is the narratives in the Old Testament. Now we're going back to the Old Testament. Now we've been, at this point, we've traveled down to South America maybe. Now we're going to cross the ocean and we're going to go over to Asia. And we're going to go into just a whole other realm that separates us from a, a lot farther. And especially a realm before Christ came. Old Testament narratives. There are a variety of stories here. 40% of the Old Testament is narrative, and I've listed some of the books that are there. This is the most common type of literature in the Bible. There's a variety of stories. Second, a variety of characters. We got all kinds of characters, all kinds of people. And we got a variety of challenges. We've got Abraham arguing with God about how many righteous people it's going to take to spare a city. We've got Balaam's talking donkey. Okay, and Balaam's talking back to the donkey. That's weird. And we've got some stories that are just plain bizarre in the Old Testament. So we got some challenges. Here's some general guidelines. On a whole, Old Testament narratives are not, they are not, on a whole, allegories filled with hidden meanings. Okay? Abraham getting a wife for Isaac is not a picture about Christ getting a bride, the church, through the Holy Spirit. Okay? Just, just... Let's read the Old Testament narrative, not as all these allegories with all these hidden meanings behind it. Unless they say, unless there's a tie with the New Testament, let's, let's guard ourselves there. Second, they're not intended to teach moral lessons. Most often you'll hear people say, after they read a story in the Old Testament, what can we learn from this story? Is that we're not, what we can learn from this story is that we're to do this or not to do this. That's not the primary purpose of narratives. We're going to dive into that a little deeper. But unless the biblical author says this is what you need to learn from this, then... And back up there. Third, they're not intended to teach doctrine. They're not intended to teach doctrine. They illustrate doctrine. The story of David and Bathsheba is not intended to teach doctrine about sexual purity. Instead, it's an illustration, no question an illustration of the dangers of sexual immorality and the effects of sexual immorality. But let's lead the doctrine teaching to other types of Scripture and illustration through these stories. Finally, Old Testament narratives are not man-centered. We've got to remember that God is the hero of this book. You get to Genesis chapter 39 and you see Joseph and the story of Joseph and, the Potiphar, and Potiphar's wife. And we walk away saying what we learn from this story is to be like Joseph and flee temptation. It's not that it's not good to flee temptation. But when you look at Genesis chapter 39, four times, four times, one phrase is mentioned twice in the beginning of the chapter, twice in the end of the chapter. The Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. Very beginning, very end, the Lord was with Joseph. The Lord was with Joseph. God is the hero of Genesis chapter 39. And the story is showing us what happens when God is with us and how God's presence with us affects everything in our lives. It's a God-centered book we've got here, God-centered stories that we're reading. And we've got to be careful because our ideas about God are going to be challenged when we read the Old Testament stories. We can't keep God in our nice little neat theological box over here when we see some of the things that are going on in the Old Testament. We've got to open ourselves up to the picture of God that we see throughout Scripture. Okay. On a whole, New Old Testament narratives are stories with a specific purpose. Remember, they were written to specific people with a specific audience. They are accounts of what happened, not what should have happened or ought to happen every time. This goes back to that moral part. 
Not every narrative is a good example for us. Often it's just the opposite. Old Testament is very clear with some of the warts and all of some of the characters that are there. And so they're not just intended to be examples. They're not what should have happened or ought to happen every time. They're what happened. Finally, they're selective and incomplete. Just like we talked about in the Gospels, not all the details are always given in these stories. So how do you walk through these four main questions with narratives? First of all, observe their home. Read the passage carefully. Don't take shortcuts. Read every detail of the story. And look for five basic parts. You've got the plot. These are the questions you're asking, what and how. Sequence of events. Usually in every plot in the Old Testament narrative, there's going to be some kind of conflict. There's going to be the development. It's going to lead to some kind of conflict, and there's going to be a resolution. So look for those facets of the plot. Second, the scene. When and where is this happening? Focus on time and place. Characters. Who? The characters in Old Testament narrative are central, are central. They're very important. Character development is very important in these stories. Look for comparison and contrast. You look in the Old Testament, the comparison and contrast between David and Saul, David and Saul. They are shown, they are, the stories about David and Saul are described to contrast one another. You've got comparison and contrast. Then you've got dialogue. Oftentimes the, the narrator, the biblical author, will be telling the story and then have some part of dialogue and the dialogue is intended to help us understand what's just happened so pay attention to dialogue and the narrator the narrator is the guy who's omniscient in the whole thing he's everywhere he knows all the details he sometimes gives summary statements or judgment statements and here's where I want to encourage you to look for irony just because an event may look good the narrator may actually be communicating something opposite. One example, you look in 1 Kings chapter 10 and 11, you see how the author is describing Solomon. Everything looks like, talking about all that Solomon did and all that Solomon had, it looks like, man, Solomon has been exalted here. Then you get to chapter 11, verse 6, and the narrator said, Solomon did evil in the eyes of the Lord. He did not follow the Lord completely as David his father had done. The Lord became angry with Solomon because his heart had turned away. Then you get to 1 Kings 6, 38, for example, the narrator says that it took Solomon seven years to complete the temple. And it almost seems like that, that's a good thing. But the very next verse, chapter 7, verse 1, the narrator tells us it took Solomon 13 years to complete his own house. Seven years on God's temple, 13 years on God's house. Is that a good thing? Look for, look for how the author is actually communicating the story here. That's observing. Understand their home. What does it mean? Interpret each Old Testament narrative on three levels. This is huge. Every story in the Old Testament is on three levels. Level one, bottom level, is the individual history. Individual history. And this is exactly what's going on in that story at that time with those individuals. Level number two is national history. Because that story fits in to what God is doing through the people of Israel. Nation of Israel, the people of Israel, what God is doing overall. And then level number three is redemptive history which means the whole picture, remember we talked about this with our notes from Old Testament, New Testament, Secret Church, the whole picture of what God is doing. You take a story like Abraham and Isaac, we mentioned earlier from Genesis chapter 22. On an individual history level, this is a man taking his son up to a mountain, God interacting with him, providing a ram. That's individual history. National history, this is the promised heir for Abraham that is being sacrificed here. And it's God providing for the preservation of his people, of the nation of Israel. That's national history. Redemptive history, we've got a picture of God's provision of a, of a ram 
to provide salvation for his people. That's overall redemptive history. You see those three different levels. You can look at that. David and Goliath is the same thing. But anyway, uh, individual history, natural history, and redemptive history. Pay, Pay close attention to literary context. If you're studying Abraham's, something that happened to Abraham, you need to read Genesis 12 to 25 as a whole at some point in order to understand how this fits into that whole deal. At a minimum, read the chapter before, that chapter, and the chapter after. Avoid these common errors in interpreting interpreting Old Testament narrative. One, allegorizing. We talked about that, trying to find this hidden meaning in the text. Two, decontextualizing, which basically is just a fancy word that means ignoring the historical, cultural context. We've got to make sure to understand as much of the context as we can. Three, selectivity, picking and choosing the parts of the story you like. I like it when Abraham does this, or I like it when David does this, and trying to put that together, and that's the main point. Well, don't pick and choose. Look at it all. Fourth, moralizing, asking what is the moral of this story at the end of every individual narrative. It's not that some things don't teach us or show us, illustrate for us moral lessons, but that's not their primary intent. Personalizing, by that I mean thinking these narratives are all about you. This is just a self-centered reading of the Bible. These narratives are not all about you. You don't walk away and say, the story of Balaam's talking talking donkey reminds me that I talk too much. Or the story of the building of the temple is God's word that we need to construct a church. That is abuse of Old Testament narrative. And it misses the whole point of the New Testament. False appropriation. Misapplying the narrative in contemporary culture. What I mean by that, this is the the classic example here is Gideon's fleece. I'm going to put out a fleece Gideon did. The only problem is that showed his lack of faith, not his faith. So it's not a good thing to do that as a way of finding God's will. False combination, taking different points of the story, trying to put them together that, that are not directly connected by the narrator. Redefinition, this is redefining the story to accommodate what you wish it had said. What you wish it had said. If it doesn't leave you feeling what you were looking for, then we got to be okay with that and adjust what we feel based on that. Finally, imitation, looking to narratives for permission and or obligation to act in a certain way. This is my challenge for you, not to, not to read Old Testament story with a monkey see, monkey do kind of approach. If he did it, then that makes it all right for me to do it. That's not the picture of Old Testament narrative that's intended there. For each story, think stories. We've thought paragraphs, we've thought discourses, teachings, each story or series of stories in the Old Testament narrative, write down in one or two sentences the answer to that main question. What does the story mean? Then bring it back home. Now here's the key. We've got to catch this. This is very, very important. Look for the biblical incompatible. We've got to interpret Old Testament narratives through the grid of New Testament teaching. So here's how you do this. You identify that timeless, that theological principle in its Old Testament context. Okay, in that context there, in the original situation. Then second, filter that principle through the New Testament. We don't read the, New, the Old Testament as, as Old Testament Hebrews. We read Old Testament through the lens of Christ. And so is there anything in the New Testament that changes this thing? Ask two questions. The New, does the New Testament add to that principle? Does the New Testament add something to that principle? Or does the New Testament modify that principle? This is what Jesus was doing. You've heard that it was said, but I say to you, and he's changing how we understand some of these pictures that we've seen in the Old Testament. So look at it through the lens of the New Testament. That means when you get to that point on the back of this sheet and you're reading an Old Testament, studying an Old Testament text, you've got an extra step here. You've got to take an Old Testament theological principle. In order to get to the timeless truth, you've got to filter it through the New Testament. Okay. Now we know how to study 40% of the Old Testament. Next. 
Journey in the Old Testament, the law. Now here's where it gets really fun. Difficulties in reading Old Testament law. We wonder about some laws. Bring the best of your first fruits of your soil to the house of the Lord your God. Do not cook a young goat in its mother's milk. Hmm. All right. Keep my decrees. Do not mate different kinds of animals. Do not plant your field with two kinds of seed. Do not wear clothing woven of two kinds of material. Anybody not wearing 100% cotton tonight? You have broken Leviticus 19.19. Leviticus 13. When a man has lost his hair and is bald, he is clean. Okay. All right. All right. All right. Anybody encouraged? Okay. A woman must not wear men's clothing, nor a man wear women's clothing. For the Lord God detests anyone who does this. Okay. So there's some of these things that make sense. Some of these things, all right. So we wonder about some. Well, we violate some others. Rise in the presence of the age. Show respect for the elder and revere your God. Whenever somebody is aged walks up, do you rise? Do not cut your bodies for the dead or put tattoo marks on yourselves. Anybody have a tattoo? I'll never forget when my brothers and I, my brother and I, uh, were thinking about getting a tattoo. First time we'd ever thought about it. And my dad pasted that verse right there to our bedroom door. He said, it says in the Bible. Well, how do, you, how do you respond to that? All right, how about Deuteronomy 14? The pig is also unclean. Although it has a split hoof, it does not chew the cud. You are not to eat their meat or touch their carcasses. Therefore, Jim and Nix is out of business, okay? So... All right, so we violate some of these, and then we obey some of them. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge against one of your people. Love your neighbor as yourself. You shall not murder. You shall not commit adultery. Okay, well, those. So, how do you know when you're supposed to just wonder in confusion, when you're supposed to violate the law, and when you're supposed to obey the law? That, that creates some difficulties. So, here's some guidelines Old Testament law in the Bible. When you see the law mentioned, sometimes it refers, it refers to the main general thing, same thing, but sometimes it's more specific. Sometimes the law refers to over 600 specific commandments that are included in the Old Testament law. Sometimes it refers to the law as all of these commandments put together. Sometimes it's referring to the first five books of the Old Testament, the Pentateuch, the book of the law. Sometimes it's the whole entire Old Testament religious system, and sometimes it's the rabbi's interpretation of the Old Testament law. You see that in the New Testament. So, What is the law? The Old Testament law is a gift from God to his people. This is important. The law was not set up to give stipulations and boundaries that were going to make their lives hard. This is a picture of God's love for them, okay? God's gift. Second, the Old Testament law is a covenant. God introduces this law and he says, Now if you obey me fully and keep my covenant, then out of all the nations you will be my treasured possession. And they received the law in covenant with God. This covenant, this relationship with him, this promise that they would follow the laws and he would bless them, this whole picture of covenant. Now, third or fourth, this Old Testament law is not our testament law. This is key. Anybody know what another word for testament is? Covenant. Testament's another word for covenant. And the Old Testament represents the Old Covenant. God's covenant with his people Israel made on Mount Sinai. However, when you get to the New Testament, we get a new covenant. It's the picture here. Covenant that Spirit writes on our hearts now. It's through Christ. It's a whole other picture. So here's the general rule. Unless an Old Testament law is somehow restated or reinforced in the New Testament, it is no longer directly binding on God's people. This is where... This is going to help us understand Leviticus and other parts of the Old Testament law in Scripture. Old Covenant, New Covenant. When an Old Testament law is not restated or reinforced somehow in the New Testament, it's no longer directly binding on God's people. It's a New Covenant picture. Some laws that are not reinforced. The Israelite civil laws, 
what to do with this various crime, whether it may be a major crime or minor crime, when someone should be arrested, and the Israelite ritual laws. A lot of these have to deal with practices in worship. What does the priest do? What sort of animals should be sacrificed? How should they be sacrificed? So those laws are not reinforced in the New Testament. Laws that are reinforced, though, that relate to the New Covenant. I've given some examples there. Matthew twenty-two forty. All the law and the prophets hang on these two commandments, which when he has just quoted, love the Lord your God with all your heart, soul, mind, strength, love your neighbor as yourself. Those are Old Testament laws that are reinforced, re- restated in the New Testament. Deuteronomy 6, 5 is where they come from. We know that that was restated in the New Testament. Leviticus nineteen eighteen mentions that. Do not seek revenge or bear a grudge. Love your neighbor as yourself. I am the Lord. Ten Commandments, other parts of the law. You look at the Sermon on the Mount, the picture, and what Jesus does with the Old Testament law. What we need to do is we need to think through when we read the law, in the Old Testament, what is restated or reinforced in the New Testament. That's going to help us understand how the law applies to us, whether it's binding or not. But here's the deal. All of the Old Testament law is still the Word of God for us, even though it's not the command of God to us. Does this make sense? This doesn't mean, okay, well, the Old Testament law doesn't matter. It's still very valuable. doesn't mean the law is not a valuable part of the, of the Bible. Galatians 3.24 says the law functions to lead us to Christ. And then even reading a verse like Deuteronomy 22.8, when you build a new house, make a parapet around your roof so that you may not bring the guilt of bloodshed on your house if someone falls from the roof. Okay, well, that's not binding on us. We don't have to do that when we build a house. However, I think it's good for us to realize that that God cared enough about house guests that might come, this whole picture of hospitality, to make a way for, for someone who comes to your house to be able to live and not fall off the roof. And you get to Deuteronomy 15, and it talks about, basically we won't read through this just for the sake of time, but it's a picture of slavery and redemption. And it gives us a picture of the love of God and this picture of redemption and how Old Testament picture of slavery is not anywhere near what we often think of when we think of slavery. All that to say, it's still God's word for us, even though it's not his commands to us. A practical process, this observing, interpreting, observe their homes. Look at the laws collectively. You will get, you'll feel like you're drowning if you try to get every single one, every single one together. Look at the laws collectively. Look at the laws carefully according to two basic forms. When you look at the laws, particularly in like the book of Leviticus, there are general guidelines General guidelines where there might be an example given, but it's not intended to give exhaustive. Here's every single instance where this would be applied. And then you do have some specific cases, case-by-case laws. This is probably the majority of those 600-plus laws that are in the Old Testament. I've listed some kinds there. Food laws, this deal about the pig, laws about the shedding of blood, some unusual prohibitions, laws giving blessing to those who keep them. Those are some of those specific case-by-case type deals. Finally, it comes to observing. Look at the laws in their context. Look at the laws in their context. What you've got to realize, when, when you saw not cooking the uh, cookie, don't cook a young goat in its mother's milk, Deuteronomy 14, 21. You've got to understand this was a, this was a Canaanite, this, this was related to a Canaanite practice where where pagans would do this and, and related to their worship of many different gods. And so when he says that, it helps us to understand why that would not be a good thing because he doesn't want them participating in that which is associated with idol worship. So look at the laws in their context. Understand their home. What does it mean? 
Just a few principles to think through. Understand that the law is God's inspired word for you, not God's direct command to you. We've talked about that. Understand the character of God in the law. You see God's justice and his holiness and his mercy and his love all over the law. So look for his character behind it. Understand the law as a gift, not as a limitation. Old Testament law is a good thing, not a bad thing. Understand the law as a basis for the old covenant and not binding in the new covenant. Understand the essence of the law that's repeated in the New Testament. And for each law, set of laws, when you look at them collectively, write down, okay, what do these laws mean? That's the interpretation part of this picture. Then, just like we talked about in any Old Testament text, we've got to look through the New Testament. And the primary filter here is, are these laws restated or reinforced in the New Testament? When it comes to these timeless truths, remember that the value of the Old Testament law is eternal. The value of the Old Testament law is eternal. It's not that it's not important. All right. That's how to study the law. Thank you for listening. You can find more episodes from Secret Church and thousands of other free resources from David Platt at Radical.net.